to two places in the Bible. First of all, find the book of Psalms, Psalm 81, Psalm 81, and then uh, right across that, uh, Proverbs chapter 13, which has kind of been our our text verse uh, for this little series of messages we've been in, Psalm 81, and then Proverbs 13. <clears throat> All of our boys have uh, played baseball when they were growing up. I remember uh, when Jeremiah and John were playing high school baseball, they were on the same team. And it was a lot of fun watching them because they were able to play together because of their age. And a lot of times, uh, Jeremiah would pitch and John would catch, or, Jeremiah, or John would pitch and Jeremiah would catch. And they'd play other positions too. I remember one occasion, well, on a number of occasions, they played up in Nashville. They were on a homeschool team, so they traveled a lot, Atlanta, and different places. But they were playing up in Nashville, and so uh, we were going up to see them. We had the address. Now, this was before you had a GPS. I was thinking last night, I don't even think we had cell phones back then. Not that uh, they're that old, but I don't think we had cell phones. And the, we, we didn't even have GPS in our phones or a GPS in the car. But we knew Nashville pretty good, and so the people, the team had given us instructions, and on there it said that the, the, the school with the field was there in Nashville. So we knew Nashville was about 100 miles away. At the time of day, the traffic was going to be down, so we had it all mapped out. So we headed up there. Me and Paula and the kids were little and packed them in, into the van and headed up and we kept going, kept going, and all of a sudden I saw the landmark, and I saw downtown go by to my left, and all of a sudden it hit me. We're going to the northwest part of the city, and we kept going. Long story short, it was 30 miles on the other side of Nashville. It wasn't in Nashville at all. It was over uh, around in Hendersonville, if you're familiar with it, past Goodlettsville, way, way up there. So we knew we were going to be late and our boys were playing, and we were uh, kind of sad about that. But, hey, what do you do? We pulled up in the parking lot, and our car literally had, had just stopped. And it's like somebody was waiting for us, and they ran out to the van, and Paula and I had just opened the doors, had barely gotten out. And uh, one of the young men that knew our family really excitedly said to John just hit a grand slam. John just hit a grand slam. Uh, you know, the bases were loaded, and, and it was the the top of the first inning, and John just hit a grand slam. <clears throat> and, of course, I knew, well, it's too late. The ball's over the fence. He's, if he's hit the grand slam, he's not certainly second, you know, third. And it's, it's over. We missed it. And Paula, she started running up there, you know, to see the grand slam, I guess. Man, we, we missed that. And, you know, it was sad because uh, it's rare that your kids are able to hit a home run, but then to hit a grand slam is especially rare. And then uh, to be able to share that moment, but even uh, a sadder note, you know how it is uh, if you played sports uh, in high school or especially lower, when you do something good, you kind of look up in the stands and make sure your parents are there to give you a nod of the head or something. We weren't there to share that. The good news is, is uh, when he played in college, he hit one home run. He hit one, and that was here in Huntsville. They played Alabama A&M, and uh, we were at that game, and he hit that ball out in left center, and we were sitting there, and we, got to, we were able to see that. It wasn't a grand slam, but we got to see that one. Now, I told you that little parable, that story, true story, because there's something worse than, than that, and that was really sad to us, and that is to give your life to secondary matters and then wake up one day and, and realize that, that I have missed this. I miss this. I gave myself, I pursued myself to some other things. That weren't important. They were important at the moment. And maybe I meant well. 
Maybe I thought I was going according to schedule and I pursued the right map and I was doing intentionally what I thought was right. But I, I missed it. Now, the Bible warns us against this. In fact, when you read the Bible, and that's one of the reasons you just want to read the Bible. It's not so you can check it off. Please understand this. Well, I read the Bible today. That's not the benefit of it. It's because you learn things like I'm speaking about this morning. It helps you for the rest of your life, not just today and tomorrow, but 40 years from now and in eternity to know that I have not wasted my life. And so this is addressed for us in Psalm 81. If you look there in Psalm 81, notice in verse 8, Psalm 81 in verse 8. The writer says this. Now, notice how he opens. He says, Hear, O my people. Now, pay attention is what he's saying. And I will testify unto thee, O Israel, if thou wilt hearken. And here it comes again. If thou wilt hearken. Now, the Old Testament word hearken means this. It means to listen with a view to obedience. Now, the foundation to obedience is attentiveness. You cannot obey if you're not attentive. We had our children... Before I, before I taught them to obey, I taught them to be attentive. That means I taught them to look at me. When I coached a team, the first thing I taught the boys is I taught them, when I talk, you look at me. And I taught them attentiveness. I don't even know that I taught them the word attentive, but I taught them to, I did teach them the definition of obedience. My son John coaches a baseball team up in Chattanooga, and we were talking uh, last week about this, and he has taught those boys the definition of obedience. It's the same definition that I taught my children, and I got it from someone else. Obedience is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. Not just doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it, but with the right spirit, with the right heart attitude. But the foundation to obedience is attentiveness. And, and you see this word, when you see it, hearken in the Old Testament. I want you to think about that. Here's what he's saying. Now pay attention. So he says, Hear, O Israel... And then he says, hearken unto me. Now watch this. There shall be no strange God in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. Now let's just stop right there. And again, this is why you read the Bible. Don't just rush past it. Just stop and say, what does that mean? The word strange there means alien. It means one that does not belong. He says, I don't want a, a, an idol, basically, a strange alien God that does not belong in you. And in the Old Testament, and sometimes in the New Testament, I think it's the last verse in the book of 1 John that warns against false idols. We can be idol worshipers. Um, in fact, the, the first uh, commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then the last commandment is, Thou shalt not covet. Both of those have to do with idol worship. And these strange gods, these alien gods that fill our hearts, he says, there shall be no idols, no strange God, because he is the living God. He's the one that fits there. What are you pursuing? Are you pursuing money? Are you pursuing fame? Are you pursuing recognition? It will not satisfy you. And that's why God is telling, he's saying, listen, hearken, pay attention to this. You're going to waste your life on something, pursuing something strange. It's an empty pursuit. And then he gives the real God, I am, I am the Lord, thy God, your personal God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. I love that idiom. He says, not only will I take care of you, I will take care of you in a wholesome way, in a good way. Now, you can open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. So, so far, he has a warning, he has a blessing and here's where it gets sad. Notice the next word. But, here's the contrast. But my people would not, and look at the word, would not hearken. They would not be attentive to my voice. And Israel would none of me. It's an Old Testament, Old English way of saying they would have none of me. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't pay attention. They wouldn't hearken. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, their own heart's desire. And they walked in their own counsels, their own thoughts, their own heart's lust. 
Do you know what that means? It means that sin is its own judgment. Sometimes <clears throat> the worst thing that can happen to you is God will get you, God will give you what you want. If you keep after it, you keep after that promotion, you keep after that promotion, and God will give it to you. And then you wake up one day and, you, and you'll say, that was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Because you're not listening, you're not hearkening. There's a strange God in you, it's an alien God, there's an idol in you as a believer. He's talking to believers, his people in Psalm 81. And you're pursuing after something that is not the Lord. Look, open your mouth. He has plenty for you. But you don't want that. You would have none of that. Continue reading there. Oh, and you see the grief in the heart of God. And I want you to notice the past tense here. That my people had hearkened. Had listened unto me, paid attention, and that Israel had, past tense, walked in my ways. Now again, watch what he would have, could have, should have done. God said, I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him. But their time, that is Israel's enemies, should have endured forever. Because of what Israel did, God said, I I would have, I should have done these things. I I would have conquered the enemies. But you you wouldn't have none of me. You would not hearken. You would not listen because of this, this strange God, because of this focus that you had was not the will of God. He should have, again, watch this, would have, could have, should have. God says, he should have, God should have. Fed them also, not just with wheat, with the finest of the wheat. Now, this is not prosperity teaching. This is the heart of God teaching that when God does something, he, he does it with a flourish. He takes care of you. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with honey of the rock. Here it is again. Should I have satisfied thee? Honey out of the rock, there were these clefts in the rocks, and these bees would uh, set up their their hives there, and, and the people would find uh, the sweetness of the honey there and, and the rock. So not only would they be nourished with the best of food, the best of the wheat, he would also take care of the sweetness of their palate. When I was reading and meditating and studying this passage, he said, Should I have noticed the next to the last word? They're satisfied thee. God said, open your mouth wide, I will fill it. And he said, I would, I would have, but you're not satisfied because you didn't hearken, but I would have satisfied you. We get the word satiate from it. It means to be to the full, to be filled. You would have been content. You would have had what you've wanted. Because it's not just, listen, it's not possessions. Because this is not about things. This is about knowing God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. If you will seek the Lord, He He will give you all the stuff, but it's not you're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You're seeking God and who He is. So Israel lived on the promises of God. And sometimes, especially unbelievers, they look at that and you say, Well, you mean you're you don't know. How God is going to take care of you, you're living on promises? Well, yes. Basically, you're living from hand to mouth. You ever heard that expression? Some of you haven't heard that. Uh, It's really an old way of saying a person is in poverty. They live from hand to mouth, from day to day, hand to mouth. Well, that may be not a good way to live unless it's from God's hand to your mouth. If it's from God's hand to your mouth, it's, it's a good way to live. I taught you uh, several weeks ago when we were through this, when in the Lord's Prayer, or the model prayer, that we're to have prayers answered every day. Give us this day our daily bread. In Luke 11, when Luke expressed the prayer, he said, give us day by day our daily bread. We're to have have prayers answered on a daily basis, even our daily provisions. And most of us don't do that. We 
you get paid weekly or bimonthly or monthly and, and, and you begin to look at things, you begin to sweat, not realizing that, that he watches the sparrow fall and he, he knows those things. And he will take care of you. And so an unbeliever or a Christian that doesn't have a strong faith says, well, I don't want to live hand to mouth. I'm not going to live that way. You have a strange God in you. You have a strange God in you. And I'm going to tell you, you would have these things, but you miss the finest of the wheat. And you miss the honey of the rock. And and He would have satiated you. He would have filled you to the full. And that's not just speaking of of being nourished with supplies. That's, That's of the desires of your heart. It's really both. God takes care of His people, but He also takes care of you on the inside. One of my favorite little stories about this, I've told before here, I haven't told it in a long time. About a little boy, he went in one of these little uh, kind of grocery stores that uh, you don't see very much. And, you know, they have these little barrels around with things you can kind of grab things up. Just old-time grocery stores. And uh, sometimes they'll have barrels set up with candy, little penny candy and stuff. And uh, the old grocer had been there for a long time, really not even a grocery store, just kind of a little store on the square, and people went in there more for the feel of it than anything. So the mother took her son in there, and she knew the proprietor really well. And He looked over there and saw her little boy. He said, tell him to reach in there, referring to the, the big barrel of candy, reach in there and grab whatever he can, and, and he, can, he can have whatever he can reach with his hand in the candy. And she said, go ahead, son. And he just kind of looked down like that. She said, son, he said you can go ahead and get you some candy. Just just reach in there. And he looked at his mom and he looked down. Finally, the proprietor came around and he had pity on the boy. And he, he reached in there and he put his hand in. And he, he said, open your hand, son. He put it in there. They walked out. And the mother was upset with him. She felt he was disrespectful to the man. She began to scold him. Why didn't you listen to him? He, we're friends and he wanted you to do that. And. The little boy looked up and smiled at Mama. He said, Mama, his hand was bigger than mine. <laughs> and God's hand is bigger than your hand, too. You see, sometimes you scheme and you plan and, and you get what you can do, but that's all you get. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it, God says. A little statement that I've used through the years that I I used to write. I would uh, write sometimes when I was in youth ministry. Kids would bring their yearbook to me to sign and I would write this in it. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. I believe that. I believe that. God always gives his best. That doesn't mean he's going to give you the best car. He might. But it's his best. And you want His best. And many people are forfeiting God's best, living below the privileges and rights of the children of God, living on on a second-hand relationship, on meager substitutes, because they have a strange God with them, an alien God, this idol that you're pursuing. And it's different for different people, see. I can't just say this is what it is because... Your idol would be different from my idol. You see, you really only believe what motivates you. Um, Just the other night, I I told Paula, I said, I want you to watch something. And uh, it was a a show that had been made a while back. It wasn't a movie. It was a documentary about a, a famous musician, about his pursuit and uh how that he got to where he was. I have a friend of mine, was Bruce Fry, and I said, it reminds me of Bruce, you know, when he was, he was trying to pursue there. But I remember when I was younger, and, and I had desires to, to go into the music field, um, but my desires were never to be, and I don't mean this because I was a good guy, they just were never to be famous. I had absolutely no desire for people to know my name. And part of that was my personality. I was an introvert. 
But I just enjoy music for the pure sake of playing music with other people. I enjoy that. And some of you that are in that field, you understand that, and, and, and some people can't, and that's okay. But, but there, there, it's, it's a beautiful thing, and you just enjoy when, when two or three people get together and you're able to, to make music. And God did not permit me to do that. Now, I've been able to do that in different settings with different people, with some pretty good musicians, but not, not as, a, as a lifestyle or, or my occupation. And I'm good with that. I really am good with that. But what the Lord did is he put me in an area of my weakness. He asked me to do something where I wasn't strong in. And the only thing I can figure out biblically is he said, I want you to depend upon me. And if I put you in this area, you will always have a weakness. It's like Jacob's limp for the rest of his life in the Old Testament. Jacob limped. And he realized that God gave him that lamp and and that he would need God for the rest of his life. And so what God called me to do was not in an area of my strength. Now, sometimes God calls people in their strength. But he didn't do that in my life. Now, your, your strange God may be something else. But if you keep pursuing that, your testimony is going to be in Psalm 81, because you're not hearkening, you're not listening, you're not even listening to the, and this is not the message, this is just the introduction. You're not grabbing a hold of this, and it's going to end up the second part there, you would have, could have, should have. And it's a very sad thing. And we've been talking in these weeks about how to be rich. And I've told you that if you're a believer, you're already rich, because there's more than one way to measure wealth. And financial wealth is not even the best type of wealth. In Proverbs chapter 13, I ask you to mark that verse. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 7. Maybe you have it memorized. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. I have this this underlined, rich, yet hath nothing. There are people that are financially wealthy, but on the inside they have nothing. And there is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. In other words, they, they've sacrificed some things, but, but they, are, they are very wealthy. Now, here's the idea of these messages. And I want to state it one more time, and God willing, I'm going to finish this part of this morning. If you measure wealth and only finances, you miss the best part. And you do. You miss the best part of life. Because you keep measuring your checkbook, and you're, you're just missing the best part. Now, every person can measure true wealth by applying four truths. And I'm going to just speak these very quickly. Number one, you measure true wealth by God's standards. I spoke on this. Rather than adopting the world standards that are promoted, or the standards that you have for your life, that, well, this is what I want to do. Because Satan is behind the scenes changing the world and those standards change all. What are God's standards? Find out what they are and live by them. We measure, secondly, we measure true wealth by contentment, not by your possessions. A rich man is not one that has a lot of money, it's that has a lot of contentment. And I'll tell you what, he doesn't need any more. And when you don't need any more, you're happy. We measure true wealth by spiritual blessings, not by material blessings, by spiritual blessings. We're thankful for material blessings, for a roof over our head, for clothing, for nice things, but for by spiritual blessings. And here's, here's what I want to dig deep on today. We measure true wealth by God's favor, by God's favor. Well, this is, this is so rich that I'm really going to really give more I thought to this and I have the other four there are the other three matters how you measure true wealth we measure true wealth by God's favor now here's what I what I've taught you that God does not have favorites God favors all of us but he does have intimates and that's up to you you see God loves everybody if, if you belong to he loves you he loves you 
You can't make God love you more. You can't make God love you less. I've heard some preachers say, well, that's not true. God loves you. If you are his child, listen, God loves you. And and God will not love you more. But listen, when you pursue him more, he always favors you. You live in his favor. But listen carefully. When you pursue him more, you know more of his favor because you have chosen to seek him. Now listen, I intentionally phrase that not just so I walk a tightrope. Because I want you to know that you, you are not having to live a performance-driven life to get God to love you or to favor you. No, God loves you. I love all of my children. But there are times maybe some of my children will pursue my heart more than others. God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. That's up to his children. James chapter 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And then it talks about what that involves, cleansing your hands and purifying your hearts. This morning I, I was praying over this and I, I looked at those words, to draw nigh, to draw nigh. It means to come near, to approach. Come near to God, approach God, come close to God, draw nigh to God and he'll, he'll draw nigh to you. But it's your, it's your step first. God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. In this sense of the word, this biblical sense of the word, favor means you can know more of the favor of God, which means his smile and his approval. Now, he already approves you. If you're his child, if you're his son, his daughter, you do not have to perform to get him to love you. You understand that? But you can be closer to him than you want to be if you will pursue his heart. And this is what life is about. It's about living in God's favor. Not so that he will love me more, but so that I can love him more. You see the difference? I'm not trying to parse my words, but but words are important. It's not so that God will love me more, but so that I can love him more. And I can know him more. And then I can experience his favor. But here's the problem, and this is the message. On that road, there are some detours. And the longer you're saved, the more these detours become attractive. And we think we're walking with God, and we're not. We're off on one of these detours. And then we wake up one day, and Psalm 81.16 is our life. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. He would have. He could have. But you didn't didn't want his favor. He loved you. He had more of it to give to you. Because you, listen, you are as close to God this morning as you want to be. You have as much of God as you want to have this morning. Now, what are these detours? They're so deceptive. I'll just mention, I, I preached on this one, the whole message last week, but I just want, because of the order, I'm going to give them to you. Number one is the detour blessings. The detour blessings. And blessings are the things that God does for us because He loves us. And here's why blessings are a detour. Blessings are a detour because God loves to bless us. And as he blesses us, we begin to accumulate these blessings. And we listen, we begin to enjoy the gift more than the giver. I was thinking about this morning as I, I went through this and I, I thought about the immaturity of us as Christians. You know, when you have little kids and you give them gifts for Christmas or their birthday or something, they're so enamored with the gifts, they don't say thank you. Unless one of the parents, you know, what do you say? What do you say? And, you know, and you ought to do that to teach them. I understand because it's the age. You have to go through the stage. But it's a maturity issue. But if you're 30, 30 shoot, if you're, if you're 15 and you don't have a thought about the giver, something, something is really wrong. Oh, this is not really what I wanted. I already have one of these. 
Well, you know, at this point, it's not even about you. It's about the fact that somebody loved you enough to go out and spend the time. I don't care if you have 10 of them. It's not even about you. They love you. Yeah, but when they love me, they want to get me to be quiet. They loved you enough. They thought about you. Do you understand this? Yeah, but they want me to be happy. No, you want them to be happy because they love you. You see the immaturity involved? It's all about you. Yeah, but they want me. No, no, no. You, it switches. Something switches. Maturity switches where I want them to know that I'm thankful for their heart towards me. That they love me. Now I realize the analogy is not complete with God. But some of us are so immature with this. And we think, we think that, look at all of these blessings. I'm just blessed. Well, I'm blessed with a father. I'm, I'm blessed with, with God who loves me unconditionally. With his mercy. With his kindness, he's given me another day. With all of the, yes, all of the things that he has given me. But this morning, do you love him or do you love his blessings? The way I put it last week, do you love his hand or do you love his heart? Do you love their parents for what they do or for who they are? I don't miss my mom and dad because of they paid the utility bill or because they gave me birthday parties. I miss them because they thought about me. They cared about me. And I love my Heavenly Father not because of the things He's done for me, though He has done plenty because of Calvary. But the fact that He would send His Son... Listen, blessings are a detour. They're good. We ought to thank God for them. But if if that's it, and you get off on that detour, here's what happens. Is you lose, you lose not the favor of God for your life, but you pull away. You're not drawing nigh to God anymore. You're drawing nigh to stuff. You're not close to God anymore. Are you pursuing the heart of God? Do you have a meaningful time alone with the Lord every day? Not so in a legal way, you can check it off, but it is a priority. Are you seeking his heart? Do you worship him? Do do you meditate upon his word? That's really a good issue right there. Because I think two times in the Bible, one of the synonyms for meditating upon God is to delight in his word. Do, Do you delight in the word of God? Do you pray? Do you fellowship with God? I think we put everybody in a box and we say, if you, don't, if you don't read the Bible like this, or if you don't worship like this, then you're not sincere. The detour blessings. Billy Graham said this, most of us know about God, but that is quite different from knowing God. And it is. Some of you know all about God, but you don't know God. Dan DeHaan, who died really not far from here, not far from Scottsboro, in a plane crash, wrote an outstanding book about knowing God. He wrote this. He said, if a Christian fails to conform to the pattern of the Bible, it is not because he lacks rules, it is because he lacks love. I like that quote. If you're lacking conformity to the pattern of the Bible, it's not because you lack rules. It's because you lack love. You don't love him. Because only love will motivate a person. A rule will never motivate anybody. You know, my my favorite songs, my favorite hymns, a couple of them, My Jesus, I Love Thee. I love that song. I love that song. And then Jesus keep me near the cross. And one of the one of the songs, one of the one of the verses there, I think it's the last verse, it talks about um, it talks about the shadow of the cross being over me. And when I read that when I read that, 
the imagery of that, not just in a poetic way, but in a real way, then I say, oh, I want to be near the cross. I do. I, I want to be. I want to be near the cross. I received a call yesterday afternoon from uh, one of my mentors. He's in his nineties. He lives in the area. He called me earlier this week, and I was driving. And he said, "He said, uh, what are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm in the car driving." He said, well, "I'll call you when I get home." I said, well, "Nobody's in the car with me. I can talk to you." He said, "Well, I'd rather talk to you while you're not driving." <laughs> I guess he thought I'd wreck or something. I said, well, okay, that'll be fine. And uh, and then he called me when I was in a personal conversation. I couldn't answer it. And then he called me yesterday. And uh, he said, I wanted to call and let you know I'm moving. I said, where are you moving? He told me a town in Tennessee about three and a half hours away. He began to tell me stories. I remember, I remember when you were younger. I remember how you would sing in the choir. He would blush. He began to recall these things. And I realized he was telling me goodbye. That it was his way of saying, I'm not going to see you anymore. I've never done good with goodbyes. God has been so good to me. God has put people in my path to equip me, to motivate me, to believe in me. I'm an older man now. How how can I forsake the Lord who has been so, so kind to me? He's been so good to me. Blessings can become a detour when we're playing with all of these toys over here. And we don't take the time to just look at the one that that gave them to us. Then there's a detour of success. Success can become deadly. Our culture is enamored with recognition and rewards. Success which we don't even know how to define anymore. Our flesh craves to be successful, to be recognized. Our our flesh wants to, at all costs, avoid failure and humiliation. Whatever happens, I don't want to fail. And so we seek success. And I say this morning that success is a is a dead end. It's a detour. Don't seek success. Are you listening this morning? Are you hearkening? Don't seek success. Seek God. True wealth is not found in success. It's found in the favor of God. And sometimes receiving the favor of God requires failure, brokenness, reversal, bankruptcy, disappointment. There was a great king, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. His name was Uzziah. He was Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This was him. He was a great king. He had a wonderful beginning, but but he had a difficult end to his life. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 5, the Bible says, And he, this is Uzziah, He became a king when he was 16 years old. And Uzziah sought God. You see that? Not success. Not prosperity. Uzziah sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, 
God made him to prosper. That's a powerful line. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. The Hebrew word sought there means to inquire. It means to frequent. One of the definitions of the Hebrew means to tread in a single place. It means to dog paddle. It just means he stayed in the same place. God, we don't have to go anywhere. I'll just, I'll just spend some time with you here. I just want to seek your face, your smile, your approval. I don't have to be first. I don't know where you want to put me. I just want to be with you. It's a sad thing because that's in chapter 26 and verse 5. The same chapter, chapter 26 and verse 16, the Bible says about Uzziah, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord as God when he was strong. Now, some of you know what it is to be physically weak, emotionally weak. Sometimes God will make you weak financially. He'll make you weak in other ways. So you'll seek the Lord. Don't seek success. It may kill you spiritually. It's a detour. It'll get you away from the favor of God. God, will, if you're a Christian, and by the way, if you're not a Christian, God loves you. He died for you. He wants to save you. But I'm speaking to God's people this morning. If you're born again, you belong to Jesus. Don't seek success. Seek the Lord. Seek Him. Seek His favor. Walk with Him. When you begin to seek success and seek the approval of men and seek to be first, you become competitive. And I'll tell you something, you begin to keep score. Pride begins to come in and you, you begin to stink to God and to people because you think you're better than other people. It's said about Joseph in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 3, and his master Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. You see that? Now those of you that know the Bible and you read about Joseph, you know that was the theme of his life. That the Lord was with Joseph. That God was with Joseph. And everything in Joseph's life, God just made it prosper. Now, was that financially? Perhaps. But he didn't have any money here at this time. He was a slave. So he prospered in character. Perhaps he prospered in friendship. He prospered in other ways. But he wasn't seeking success in the worldly sense. He was seeking God. Potiphar's wife falsely accused Joseph of trying to rape her. It was a false accusation because he could have had him killed. I get the idea that she had done this before and he didn't believe his wife. But to save face because he was a very high politician, he put him into prison. Same chapter, Genesis thirty-nine twenty-three. The keeper of the prison, different man, same person, Joseph. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with Joseph. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. God prospered Joseph. God prospered him no matter where he went because he sought the Lord wherever he was at. Listen, God can do more for a man in five seconds than a man can do for himself in 50 years. Just seek the Lord. I believe this. I believe this. Not because I'm a good man. I just believe I believe this from the day I've been your preacher. I, be, I believe this from the core of my being. Just seek the Lord. You let Him take care of all the others. Let Him take care of the statistics. I, I don't know that I've ever said, what's our attendance? How much is the offering? How much are, what are, what are these, you know, measurements over here? Now, look, I understand that there's some parameters that, that you, you're able to measure. Some, I understand those things, but you better be careful. 
But you, you can pursue some externals and lose the heart. A father to his son, David told Solomon in First Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 11, Now my son, the Lord be with thee. Look at this and prosper thou. Good advice from a father to a son. And build the house of the Lord thy God as he has said of thee. Only the Lord give thee wisdom, son, understanding. Give thee charge concerning Israel. That thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Then, look at this, then, then, then thou shalt prosper. By the way, Solomon forgot that later on. God has given... um, my son, John, some favor in some areas in Chattanooga. My favorite part of all of that is he hadn't sought it. He's not manipulating. He's just kept his nose to the grindstone and, and loved people and led a life of sacrifice. God has brought people, newspaper people, television people, political people, the mayor, to him. My favorite part is he didn't seek it. And I've told him this, and I've charged him just like Solomon did his boy, to keep that up. You, you stay to your business. Remember this in times of opposition. Nehemiah was going through some trouble. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 19, when Sinbalat the Horonite and Tobiah his servant, or the servant, not his servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, that is the walls began to go up around the city of Jerusalem. Watch this. They laughed us to scorn, Nehemiah said. They despised us and said... What is this thing that you do? They begin to mock him. Will you rebel against the king? Nehemiah said, Then I answered them and said to them, I love this, the God of heaven. The God of heaven, he will prosper us. I think one line I've used more often than anything I got it from my dad is, Everything's going to be all right. In our worst days as a church, going back decades, we couldn't even pay our utility bill. I'd be on the phone talking to Huntsville Utilities, trying to keep the power on for Sunday. Go back to my room and weep. The God of heaven, he will prosper us. And I learned God, Rick, Rick, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. I remember my daddy would be driving around. I'd pour up my heart to my dad. Daddy'd say, son, you just keep on loving people. You keep winning souls and helping people and God will take care of you. My daddy's right. You see, in God's economy, listen, what appears to be failure and reversal is a road to success. Some of you may be dealing with some hard things. And it may be the very best thing in the world for you right now. Here's a scripture in Psalm 75, verse 6. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He put it down one and set it up another. I want you to notice in verse 6. There's one direction not mentioned. That's the north. Promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. When Satan rebelled against uh, God in Isaiah chapter 14 and and verse 13, he says, 
I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. There's something about the north, about where God sits. God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. He sets up. He promotes. The word promotion there means to live, to exalt. It means to raise. I'm not going to have to be concerned with success. God says, I've got your phone number. I got your address. Promotion promotion comes from the Lord. First Peter chapter five, verse six says that God will promote you in due time. Then there's a detour of compromise. A detour of compromise. Now compromise is good in relationships. The word compromise means to make concessions that are agreeable to reach a mutual acceptable decision. In fact, you better learn to compromise with your spouse. But God God doesn't compromise. It's never acceptable. God sets the terms. And sometimes in, in God's ways, when we're living for Him, we get a little bit afraid and we say, what are we going to do? How am I going to handle this? God wants me to do this. And we see that detour, compromise. Well, I'll do this part, but I'm going to change this part. No, God says, no, I want you to do it my way. Because your intimacy with God does not depend upon compromise. It depends upon obedience. And I want you to listen clearly what I'm about to say. Listen clearly. Obedience is not legalism. Today, when you obey God, people just, they say, well, that's legalism. Well, that's just obedience. I'm just obeying God. Obedience is not legalism. I hope you heard that because there's a lot of people today, if you just obey God, people just automatically will slap legalism on you. Legalism is a spirit more than anything. The compromise, wanting to adjust God's ways and God's word and God's will. Seek God, don't seek compromises. Prosperity comes from God, and when, when God compromises, there's no consequence. Or when God, when God blesses you, there's no consequences. But when you compromise, there's always consequences. Did you hear me? When God blesses you out of obedience, there's no consequences. There's blessing. But when you compromise, there's always consequences. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 22, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. And he addeth no sorrow with it. The word sorrow there means grief and pain, whether that's physical or emotional. The blessing of the Lord. There's a richness to it. There's a wholeness to it. And he adds no sorrow with it. Psalm 1 and verse 1, blessed, and that's plural in the Hebrew. Blessedness is multiple blessings. It's the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, there's the word, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. You cannot compromise. You cannot compromise God's conditions here. You cannot compromise these. And when I do these, this man, this woman, this teenager, he or she shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters, the root systems are being nourished. There's an internal change inside of the tree that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And all of a sudden, the externals begin to change. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. In my Bible, I have this underlined. And he shall be and he shall do. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But you can't claim Psalm 1-3, the prosperity, without the conditions. But I want you to notice that the being is before the doing. He shall be, and then he shall do. God's more concerned about what you are like internally than what you do. Because if you're not right on the inside, you won't be right on the outside for long. In Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 22, He that hasteth to be rich has an evil eye. 
The word evil eye speaks of the inner being of a person. It speaks of your entire perspective, your whole life. The word haste means to be in a hurry, especially from fear. I'm worried about something. So I don't wait on God. He that hasteth to be rich has an evil eye, considereth not the poverty that shall come upon him. My goal is not being godly. It's about being rich. I'm hasty to become rich. Again, Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 20. A faithful man shall abound with blessings. You see that? Faithfulness. But he that maketh haste to hurry because of pressure to be rich shall not be innocent. You will lose your integrity because you're hasty to be rich. You're not thinking about, okay, now what is the end of this? If it's too good to be true, it probably is. I read that 70% of all lottery winners go broke and file for bankruptcy. 70%. I thought the numbers would be higher on this or bad enough as it is. 17% of people that win a lottery have relatives that come to them asking for $100,000. How would you like to be, how would you like to do that? I got to thinking, you know, if I ever, we ever hit the jackpot, and if we did, it would be Paula, not me. She fills out the forms. And I probably would never know. And I would never want to know. Can you imagine all of the, the stuff that would you get from your family? Hey, you know, we really need, we need this and we need that. And, and, you know, people don't love you for your heart. They love you for your hand. I told you before, you know, when... When you have means, sometimes you don't know, do you love me for what I can do or do you love me for who I am? Andrew Murray said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. And he is, he'll take care of you. And then D.L. Moody said, let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. Do what God tells you. Don't get off on that detour. And then last of all, there's a detour of understanding. A detour of understanding. Here's what I mean by that. If you want God's favor in your life, there's going to be times when you have to obey God and you don't know why he's asking you what to do. If you wait until you understand, you're going to miss the boat. Most of the time, there's a gap there where you don't fully understand. Here's the verse, two verses. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not, lean not unto thine own understanding. The two words, the lean means to support yourself. It means to rest, to rely upon, lean not upon your own understanding. Do you see that? Because... We'll say, well, but God's not unreasonable. No, but he's not going to give you all the answers either. And there's always going to be an element somewhere of faith. Look, if there's, not a, if there's not a gap there, it's not faith. Because, you know, well, I want to see it and then I'll believe it. God says, no, you believe it and you see it. If there's not, if there's not a gap, it's not faith, it's sight. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. Watch this. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. So the key there is don't lean to your own understanding, but acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. The word acknowledge means, it's a word that means to know God personally. That's what it means. To acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. To know him personally. If I could put it just to favor him. Walk with him. Seek him. Draw nigh to him. Walk with the Lord. Listen, God, God does so much for people that just walk with Him. Just walk with the Lord. Don't get off on the detour of understanding where all your P's and Q's have to be in order before you, you work it out. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Look at this. Labor not to be rich. Let me say it again. Labor not to be rich. Now, this is the word of God. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, 
They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Whatever you have, hold it loosely. God will tell you sometimes to give it to others. I mean, some of you, if you've been watching the news and you're watching, and you've got your, your 401ks and all your you're watching that stuff, you get a little bit nervous. You better walk with God. I'm not saying it's wrong to have those. I'm not saying that. You better walk with God. Better walk with God. Because if the house of cards, you you cannot keep printing money and not have somebody cough for the bill, whether it's China or someone else. I don't want to go too down the road on this. We better walk with God. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, because he does that. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. He does that, Goliath. Or let not the rich man glory in his riches. He does that. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understand. look at this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That I am the Lord, which exercise, and here's his character qualities. This is the Old Testament word for grace, loving kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth. For in these things, in my character qualities, God, who I am, not what I do, in these things I delight, saith the Lord. You see, some people think they're rich, but they're not. The church at Laodicea, Revelation 3, verse 17, Because thou sayest, I am rich. And by the way, it was a rich city. Increase with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not, Jesus said, that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Spiritually, you're poor. But he said, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. Then later he said that you can see. Because your spiritual vision, you don't, you, your values aren't right. That's what he's saying. He's, you think you're rich, but you're poor. But you can be spiritually rich if you'll see it right. And then some people aren't rich, but, but they really are. The church is Smyrna. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, And under the angel of the church in Smyrna, Jesus said, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead. Is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty. Look at this. I know your poverty, but he says his church, but you're rich. Financially, you're poor, but you're rich. I I don't know where you are in all this, but we need to we need to be thankful. We need to, we need to seek we need to seek the Lord. I read a story recent weeks about a lady named Eunice Sandburn. Back in 2010, I'm sure she's passed away by now. She was the oldest living lady in America. In Jacksonville, Texas, they had a big birthday party for November the 4th, 2010. And uh, on her 114th birthday, they asked her some questions. And she said, you know, I I love everything about my life. I have no complaints. I'm going to say that again. She's 114. And she says, I love everything about my life. I have no complaints. Now I'm about half that age, not quiet, but almost. I don't know if I'd say that. And here's a lady that's lived over a century. And if she wanted to, she could complain. But she doesn't. And I wrote this quote down when I read this story. A contented mind is a continual feast. A contented mind is a continual feast because I have enough. God, thank you. Thank you. Maybe you're going through a trial or a reversal. You got some pressure in your life. God's just trying to get your attention. He's not trying to punish you. He's just trying to say, hey, hey, look up here. You're missing the good wheat. You're missing the honey out of the rock. 
Look up here. I want to talk to you. I want you to come close. I want you to walk with me. The pastor of the Moody Church in the 50s, I believe his name was Alan Redpath. Alan Redpath was a great preacher, one of my favorite commentators. I love his books. He was busier than he'd ever been before. He was preaching everywhere. And in the midst of a busy schedule, he had a stroke. He couldn't talk. He couldn't preach. He couldn't serve. He was laid up in a hospital bed, melancholy, sad. And he began to talk to God. He said, God, why in the most fruitful time of my life did you allow this to happen to me? I can't preach. I can't write. I can't stand behind a pulpit. I can't do anything. And I was busier and more productive than I've ever been before. And Redpath said, he sensed God speaking to him and saying, Alan, it's because you put your work before your worship. You put your work before me. And sometimes God allows things to slow down to grab our attention. To bow your heads with me today. You've been so patient.